Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. I don't know if anyone, if people know this. I don't know if people like me and you know this. I didn't know it until I joined. Uh, these restaurants will charge 30% more on the apps to make up the difference. So like as a consumer, it's a kind of a bad deal. As a shop, it's a bad deal. So we think we've got a better solution here, a better mousetrap, if you will, at least for the reordering component of it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Market Millennials. We have someone who's back for a second time. He was in a different role this time, and now he's back. I'll let him introduce himself. himself. Welcome, Matt, to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Uh, last time I was on, I was talking about a dual-sided marketplace, and I'm back on to talk about another dual-sided marketplace because apparently that is my, you know, <laughs> where I'll end up in life is is uh, dual-sided marketplaces. But I learned a lot from the first one, and I'm excited to take those learnings and apply it to this new one that I'm at. Could you just explain to people what a dual-sided marketplace is first, and then we can explain like how to do marketing for that type of company? So what you have to do is you have two sets of customers. So you are selling, you're, like, you're doing B2B to C sales usually. Um, it doesn't have to be in that order, but in the case of where I'm currently at, which by the way, I did not mention I'm at Slice. We are an um, online food ordering service. And what we need to do is we need to get local pizzeria shops or local food shops to adopt our product. And then ideally we need customers to order food through that product. And so you can think of a lot of sites like this now. You know, eBay is a really good example. Etsy is a really good example. Anywhere where you've got both businesses and consumers and, you know, you're essentially the person in the middle, that is what a B2B to C marketplace is. Uh, another good one is you could use Uber as an example. They need both drivers and they need both passengers. So you've just got like different people that are going to join and use your product for different reasons. So you actually have to have very different skill sets or very different focuses to attract both those sides of the marketplace. So let's go into like, how do you even plan for this? What is the priority at first? How do you prioritize? First, obviously you need to get pizza shops on there so people can buy pizza, but how do you go about it in a marketing perspective? First off, I had to learn this lesson the hard way. So the company I was at was a startup that somewhat famously, I think, imploded. Um, I think it was it was destined to kind of end anyways. I don't think there's a strong of a desire for this product. Uh, it was an online payment processor. So we had a but you know you go buy something at a store, you hit a button, and uh, you check out really easily. Uh, and my job was the consumer side, so I got people really excited to click our button. Problem was our consumer marketing did not match the uh, reality of the business at that time. So we got a lot of people that were really excited to check out with our button, but there was nowhere, they didn't have any websites or shops that were using it, so they couldn't really go experience it other than really our own shop and a handful of others that they hadn't heard of. So what I learned from that was you can't really ring that consumer bell too loudly or too often before you focus on the B2B side. And so that's what I'm currently doing at Slice now. 
Uh, one of the big misconceptions about what we do is that we are like an Uber Eats or a DoorDash or any of those third-party delivery apps. We're actually more like a HubSpot. We're more like a CRM, uh, a layer of technology that helps you digitize all your customers and you can remarket to them. And so part of like step one of this is really just value props. It's product marketing. It's making sure that we have a very clearly defined product that's easy to tell other shops to. Now, we have over 20,000 shops. So the way that we're doing this is, one, we're focused on re-educating our current shops. And this is fairly simple through uh, email and uh, training our customer success team to talk differently about ourselves. But then also we've got the prospect shop. So it's uh, leading into all of our advertising. So we're doing plenty of digital. We're doing plenty of industry stuff and events and making sure that we've got a really tight way to describe what we do. And then we have a much more in-depth way to describe what we do for when the shop wants to dig a little deeper and understand us at a more intimate level. I think I've worked in a pretty similar company. I think we didn't focus on the consumer side as much, but I work for Chow Now, which is basically like online ordering for like small restaurants. Um, but we, we, our goal was let's get as many people on the platform as possible. Let's and when we went to new markets, I was like, let's focus on the market, capitalize the market, and then start like helping the restaurants market to their customers, which that was the biggest thing was like, instead of like using their brands as like a way to get more consumers, instead of like having to go out and get the consumers ourselves to come with that, we used them to do that. And that's honestly what we're doing now. We have done uh, in the past, when I say we, people at Slice before I had gotten there, went more of like the Uber Eats route, the DoorDash route, where we're like, let's just get a really big marketplace meeting a bunch of consumers. And if we have enough consumers, then the shops will come. And it ends up being a catch-22. You kind of need to build them at the same time. Uh, if you have too many people on, then they're not going to use it because their favorite shop is not on there. And if you have too many shops on without enough people, then they're not going to see the value necessarily, at least in uh, your app side of it. So that's why You've got to start with the shops, make them understand the remarketing value, and then you kind of unleash the marketplace or the you know consumer side of it. How do you, let's say, since you are more of a, like a CRM for pizza shops, how do you compete against, let's say, like the likes of Uber and DoorDash? Because you could go into all these apps and see like some of the top pizza shops in most areas like on these apps. So how do you convince them to be like, hey, use us, not use those those platforms? So what's interesting is we don't say don't use those platforms. What we say is those platforms are actually really, really good for discovery. If no one's ever heard of you, they've never ordered from you before, great, they should order from Uber Eats. And there's a reason why those companies take 30% that's a big chunk, but it's worth it for a first-time customer, especially if you can turn that customer into a lifetime customer, or at least, uh, you know, order several times a year customer indefinitely. The problem is, once they've ordered first, 30% is fair. Once they're ordering from you three, four, five, ten 10 times, 30% becomes unreasonable because that person already has high intent to order from that shop. And so what we tell shops is, don't get off those apps, stay on those apps. You need more customers. You need new customers. And however they discover you is however they discover you. But what you should do is transition them off of there to either order on your website directly or order through the Slice app, which is a flat fee. And it's extremely smaller percentage of what they're paying these apps. And another thing too, I don't know if anyone, if people know this. I don't know if people like me and you know this. I didn't know it until I joined. 
uh, these restaurants will charge 30% more on the apps to make up the difference. So it, like as a consumer, it's a kind of a bad deal. As a shop, it's a bad deal. So we think we've got a better solution here, a better mousetrap, if you will, at least for the reordering component of it. What people don't know, and I, when I got into the industry too, I didn't know, like when I was a child now, I didn't know all of these like crazy stats about how much they pay, but Uber and DoorDash are technically glorified marketing tools for restaurants. But the problem is that what you said is it's not meant to be a retention tool as well. Um, and that's where like the mistake is because it's like basically paying Facebook multiple times to acquire the same customer. That is a good line. That is exactly what it is. It's like you've already got this customer. And it's almost like you have them on a subscription and you're still paying Facebook to market to them. It's like there's there's no point of this. I, I already know that they love me. I just need to remind them. And then it's here's it maybe I don't even know I can do an analogy in real time. But what's interesting is these third party delivery apps to the shops. They're remarketing to those consumers, but they're not remarketing that you go back to the shop that you love. They're like, try this new one. Oh, why, why do you even want pizza? You probably want Chinese or maybe you want Thai food because they're not incentivized to get you to reorder from the same shop. They're incentivized to get you just to reorder through their app where we're designed to be that arm that sends you back to the places that you love. And our data tells us that most people have like three to five places that they order from frequently. Uh, and those are the times where they should be ordering directly from their website or through an app that takes a much smaller commission. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's like the classic um, D to C Amazon thing where you can't usually get your customer data. They will remarket to anybody on Amazon with the cut it, your customer that you just brought on. But it's good because it gets you in front of about all Amazon customers. You get a bunch of purchases. Um, but the sad thing is that you can't, your margins are smaller and smaller and smaller if you if you use it. So to discover, it's all about discoverability. So you, when you started there, what was your plan of action? Like, what was your go-to-market of like how I'm going to grow the business of slides? So I came in to lead the marketing team, and I think that's slightly different than if you come in as an individual contributor. So my goal wasn't to come in and say, I'm going to fix this one component or I'm going to focus solely on this. It was really to understand the business and to understand how the marketing team was designed. And if those two are aligned, like is, is, does the marketing team have the right pieces to achieve the goals that the executive team has set out? And to be blunt, they didn't. The marketing team was quite thin when I joined. Um, and by design, they, you know, was this, they had designed the marketing team at a time where you know, the economic instability was at its height and it was, and, you know, everyone's goal was to get profitable. Um, and now they're back to understanding that marketing is a really strong driver for growth and they've got to figure out how to devise the team. So the first few weeks and even months that I was there, it was figuring out what pieces are we missing? What pieces do we need to add? Do we need to rearrange anything? And so it was really setting out a strategy because, if we don't have the right people to execute the vision, you know, you need to people, certain people to ha be held accountable to certain KPIs that then match the uh, business's goals, uh, you, you are going to fail. And so really, and I'm still like in the middle of this, uh, I would say I probably won't have the team in a place where I'm comfortable until the end of the year, you know, early 2024. 
Um, and so what I did was I came in and I was like, we've got to have different people who are responsible for different things. And so that means we've now separated it into like four ish pillars. Uh, pillar one is we have a creative team. So we do a lot of in-house creative. We have a lot of requests. So it made sense to have that. That was already in place. We needed a stronger B2B arm. We have the B2B part where we need them focused on leads. We need them focused on helping shops understand what exactly it is that we do. And now we need what I call order growth, which we don't have. We need someone whose KPI is to get more orders, whether that's getting shops to transition more offline orders to online or off of third-party delivery apps onto Slice, um, or it's net new. You know, it's someone who's never heard of Slice. Then you download the app. There's a bunch of shops in their area. So they've got to focus on that. And then the last component is what I'm calling brand. Uh, we have a really, really big opportunity in front of us to create some really fun content on social media especially. And we didn't have anyone managing that. So when it, the first role I put out was for a pizza influencer and it was very purposefully named pizza influencer so that it would hopefully go viral. And if you're listening to this, hopefully you saw the pizza influencer role, um, but it was fun. I had, I had friends from around the US sending me video recordings of like radio stations talking about it and their local news talking about it and plenty of online outlets talking about it. So. It's really those four things, and we're going to try to do all of them. You know, It's actually really only three things. It's the creative team supporting the other three, but it's that B2B side, it's the order growth side, and it's the brand side. So we're trying to like put the pieces together and go slowly. I don't want to sprint on any of these. I don't want any one of them to get too far ahead of the other one um, and really pace ourselves. I think it's so interesting because you have to basically build – two types of marketing functions because one is B2B, which is a different motion than trying to get people to check out and do do something. Like one, one metric is, hey, let's get as many shops on the platform. One is like, let's make sure like like the GMV or like the, the orders on the people, people are ordering from the platform. Those are two different marketing functions. One person can focus, one team can focus on that same goal, two different goals. And I would even argue with the consumer side, I've split it up into two because getting someone to download or interact with a consumer app or a consumer product is hard. Anyone who sold D2C knows that you don't push out that ad for the hat or the boots or whatever it is and get someone to buy it on the first time. You likely know it takes like a two-week consideration phase or whatever the time is, and you need to be exposed, you know, four or five, six times. So I've literally designed it so that the social media side of it is more the awareness side, and we'll have uh, likely some kind of budget to do just awareness. You know, it's I, I we have great penetration in the Northeast, and we have average penetration in other metros. So I need someone just to warm up people to understanding who we are to like maybe even consider us and then i've got the order person who's going to come in and their kpi it's going to be like all right did we get someone to download the app did we get them to order a certain amount of times in the first 30 days um you know are they what's their ltv are they churning really quickly how do we avoid people who churn really quickly is that related to the awareness so it really is like and it really is purposefully divided and making sure that they have very different KPIs, where one is literally impressions. I just care that more people are seeing and hearing about us. And the other person is more of a tangible ROI, where it's our KPI, where it is order growth. So it's, it's, I'm really breaking it down to three. Anyone on the consumer side knows that this, like, that's kind of how you'd break down the two and how you should think about the two. It's this full funnel. 
Um, but yeah, it's I, I'm very purposefully dividing all three. And it's really interesting too, because the restaurant industry, for example, every market kind of has its own type of things. Like some some cities are very like, I will only shop local. I will only go to my local pizza place or my only local stuff like there's like New York is like all the best restaurants and only like one-off restaurants in New York. But like, if you go to like some other cities, like you have to battle against like all the chain restaurants out there. So it's like every market you kind of have to have like, I mean, you can bunch them up into different types, like here's the personas of the every market, but like some are going to be easier because you already have people who are already going to local restaurants. And then the other one, you have to convince people that, Hey, Stop local. It's better to do local. It's better for the business owner. It's better for the community. Like the two different marketing ploys to talk about. You are completely right, and it's like you're looking ahead into my 2024 roadmap because what we're learning is that someone who orders pizza in New York kind of has different behaviors than someone who orders pizza in Atlanta and someone who goes and orders pizza in LA. And the way that you even talk to these shop owners is kind of different. It makes a big difference. Are you a car dependent city? Are you a public transit city? Are you the type of city where you can walk outside and there are five or six shops? Or are you the type of person that needs to drive five miles just to get to a Pizza Hut or Papa John's? Those are all very different experiences that these consumers and shops have. And so you've got to be able to speak to those needs or speak to that kind of you know way that they're interacting with their local shops. So yeah, you're completely right. Like What works in New York probably is not going to work in Atlanta. Even like Texas, like I think like Texas, for example, like probably where it works is when sports are happening or game day or like like kids pizza parties for like football teams, which is different than like New York where you, like everybody's like, I'll go get a slice on my way home or like I'll go get something on the way home, which is such a different type of market. And it's different people you're marketing to. Uh, our two top like demographics of consumers, and you just hinted at it, or maybe even straight up said it. It's kind of like young people in their twenties, you know, or young professionals, college students, even. Um, and that it's also like suburban parents. It is the people that are like, I, oh, you know, I got home from work, I'm just going to order some food, or I'm having a kid's birthday party, I want to order a couple pizzas. It's like those are the two. So you view that now you got to have different uh, marketing assets or different campaigns that target these different demographics because the way that I market to a, you know, a family in their late 30s getting dinner for their family is very different than someone who is single or maybe has a, you know, a girlfriend or boyfriend and just wants some a quick food for the night. It's it's. Are you all participating in that? Um, I don't know, like, how, but like the Dave Portnoy, like pizza fest? Yes, we've heard about it. We uh, we are not. It was, um yeah, we just, we are, we made the decision not to. We knew about it and stuff, but. I just wanted to know because I just saw because he's like the like one of the OG pizza influencers. So. He is very influential in the pizza space, and uh, I will say this: so many of the shops that I talk to or hear about in the New York and New Jersey area, they love his one bite stuff. They understand like what he's done for local businesses, and uh, they you know they want him to rate their pizza. And maybe if you're listening, maybe you saw like he famously maybe two weeks ago had a pizza person like cuss him out. Like he got he came out and like kind of yelled at him and and then he gave a bad review. And even that worked. It was it's kind of one of those things where it's like all press is good press. So whether it gives you a horrible review, whether you make a scene and yell at him or whether he loves it, it's you know, it, it moves the needle for these local independent shops. 
I think I've known Slice for like a few years now, and it was even before the pandemic. I think we're like in a good place. I mean, it's a good place. That's why the pizza influencer is smart, where now there's like videos of people reviewing stuff. Like now, like pizza has really good virality because it is like everybody knows pizza. Like, I don't, I, you don't know many people who hate pizza. Like, if they do, like, it's, um, if they do, they probably like, Kenny Dairy or like something or like Kenny Gluten, but like uh, no, it, it's interesting you mentioned that because that's the reason we even started with pizza. Is there something communal about pizza? There's something that like everyone loves about pizza. It's just this. It's this food that kind of transcends taste, transcends cities. Like every city seems to have its like a, at least a local pizza shop, at least one. Um, it delivers really well. It travels really well. We probably all have memories of eating pizza as a kid. We probably don't have memories of many other foods that you ate over and over. That's why, like, it really made sense to start with pizza. Now, obviously, what we do applies to, you know, things other than pizza and a lot of pizza shops sell more than just pizza. So really, we're built well for um, any shop that does a lot of to-go orders or takeout orders. Like, that's really our bread and butter. And it just happens to be a lot of those are pizza places. I want to go into also like how are you thinking about social for for this? Like, okay, you have the pizza influencer. What was like, and besides the pizza influencer, let's go into both like the pizza influencer and like your social strategy. What are you, how are you thinking about like building that up? So very early on in the process, I thought I wanted more of a traditional social media manager. You know, someone who can respond and post and give me the analytics and stuff. And then I interviewed a comedian who just happened to see the role and he didn't have like a full-time job. He just thought this is a really cool role. And he was hilarious. He made such great content. It was so funny. And I was like, oh, this is what I need. I don't need a social media manager. I need really a content creator. And that was very early out of the interview process. So that's when I told our, you know, the people person I was working with who is, or the recruiter I was working with to like open it up to more, more to that. And I ended up getting a bunch of comedians and they made really good videos. And every person I interviewed, I asked them this one question uh, to see what they would say. And it was, if this pizza influencer role didn't exist, what would you want to be doing five years from now? And if they said, oh, I want to be a VP of marketing or I want to like do this, it was like, that's the wrong person. I need the person who said, I want to be Mr. Beast. I want need the person who's like, I want to be a YouTube star. I need the person who said, I want a, uh, my own, you know, comedy special on Netflix. I want SNL to call me. Like those are the ones who are making the really entertaining videos. And the person that I ended up hiring, it's not public yet, but I will say this. His answer to the question was, I want to be a game show host. And it worked out like that made a lot of sense to me because I want to do a lot of content with these shops. I need someone who can have like interviews and and like kind of pull out the emotion of someone, uh, and also with a sense of improv. Like if you're a game show host, you gotta you don't know what the person's gonna say, so you gotta be able to think on your feet. And it turned out like that's what we were looking for. Now I think there's a lot of different pieces of types of content we can create. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, this person starts very quickly. We're doing freelancers because you can imagine, and this person's based in the New York area. You can imagine a pizza influencer, content that resonates in New York is going to be different than content that resonates in Atlanta. It's different than content that resonates in LA. And I don't think you can send one person to kind of do that. I think you need multiple people who really know the city, who really know the late night spots or know the cool stories or know the shops to do that. So uh, the goal is to have uh, one full-time pizza influencer and hopefully get 
like an army of pizza <laughs> influencer freelancers. And if you're listening to this and you want to make pizza content in whatever city you're in, DM me on Twitter, find me because uh, we're open to it. We think there's a lot of exciting possibilities we can do with people who just love making entertaining videos. I think that's actually so true too, because I think like the like nuances and cities and the nuances like someone could sniff out. Like I, I wa- I'm watching this like this is like a TikTok series that says like what's the best neighborhood in New York City or what's the best neighborhood, and then they go like what's the best restaurant, and like you could tell like the people who aren't originally from the city or like by the answers that they say. And you could see in the comments, like everybody's like, yeah, this, this person probably just moved here. Like, like, are they really saying that? Like versus someone who like hits the nail on the head on every little answer. Like there's a difference in people like cities could sniff it out. And East please, it's just you with TikTok with their um, discoverability in cities like it's going to be shown to more people in that city. So if you don't show up like a local, it's going to be hard to stand up. The sign of success is that people are sending your videos to their friends. You know, like I think the magic happens in the DMs. You know, I don't think people really share stuff as much. And if they comment and like it, whatever, I want them sending it to people. And if well, I'll use Atlanta, I'm, I'm based in Atlanta. If uh, someone did like the top five places to eat in Atlanta, and they were all kind of like, you know, the popular stuff that everyone already knows. I'm not sending that to my Atlanta friends. But if someone's like, hey, here are the five places that like true Atlanteans know and go to. And there's like three places on there that I don't know about. I'm sending that to my friends. And I'm going, hey, we're going here, here and here. And that to me is the way that you get impressions, grow followers and really get people to be interested in what you're saying. And I also think it's a different approach because I think the one top pizza place one is going to be attract people who are visiting the city who are trying to like go and the other one is like trying to attract people who live in the city who don't know like hey this hot spot new pizza place just opened in Atlanta like you got to try it out that's more like someone who's a local person but like for me like when I go to like a city I always go like TikTok search and be like top restaurants and I look at what people are saying the top restaurants and I'll look at the local and both, but I'll look at more of like what are the top 10 restaurants I need to go to versus like the hidden gems are more like if I have time to do that, I'll do the hidden gems. But someone who's local will spend a lot of time doing that. Side note, I love that you use TikTok to search because I did the same thing. TikTok needs to do like a $10 million or $100 million campaign that they're the new Google. Uh, like I literally have a yard and I'm like, how do I plant hydrangeas? And I was like, I'd rather just watch it on TikTok than I would like go through the step-by-step thing on YouTube. So it, it makes an interesting point because if we can get more people searching, which I think young people are, I haven't looked at the data, that should inform how you're creating content. If you can create searchable content that people might be looking for, it's an interesting way to kind of like hack the algorithm, if you will. There's also those type of videos show up in the feed longer um, if they like, are relevant in the area. Like I get fed some videos like when I was in Vancouver, some videos that were like seven months old, but they were relevant to me because they were like uh, restaurant videos and stuff like that. They were really relevant videos for me to go to right now. Yeah, that's good. I got, I got to do it. I, okay, now I need the top 10 pizzas and and like the 50 biggest metros in, in the United States. I'll have to get on that. No, it's even a good start to even like get like started. If you just say like here are the top five must-eat pizza spots, blah, blah, blah. And then you can even, like, break it down to, like, 
Yeah, like the top five pepperoni pizza. Because, like, for for example, like in California, like in San Diego, where I grew up, like I don't like search for like the best Mexican food. I like search for the best California burrito because that's like the best thing to get in California. So, like, if I'm going to go to California, I'm going to look for like the top five California burritos, not the top five burritos. It's true. And with pizza, you got the same thing because you're like, do I want a New York slice? Do I want Chicago style deep dish? Do I want Detroit style? So even even all that in a city like that, yeah. There's so I'm telling you, this is a dream job. If I didn't have my job, I would love to be doing this and just focusing on this. I think there's so much cool stuff that can be done. What is a marketing hill you would die? I think a lot of people are making content that are just wasting their time. If you can create something it's very specific to your audience and you know that they would value it that's fine but you've also probably got to likely then pay to distribute that and get them to watch it odds are they're not going to discover it organically um and if you are going to go heavy into organic you've got to entertain them you got to inform them you've got to like have the editing and the pace down of a tiktok or a reel or the you know kind of nuance of a twitter thread or something like that so my marketing hill I'll die on is most content, if it's designed to be a glorified ad, is a waste of time and money. I have this like thing about content where a lot of people think some content is like they all, they all say it's fluffy and all whatever, whatever. But if people are consuming it and sharing it and stuff like that, like maybe that content wasn't meant for you and it was like it's hitting other people who are actually feeling that's relevant to them so like maybe someone is not like i see it at all on twitter where people say oh this is like fluffy marketing why so fluffy but some person who just gets into marketing that might have been like a gem that could have broke through something that they weren't thinking about in marketing so maybe you're most some of marketing advice is not meant for everybody. Just like content is not meant for everybody, but the most relevant, entertaining, engaging content always wins. Where like it has some sort of feeling to someone. And to double click on your like fluffy marketing thing, there's some marketing like idioms or truisms or something, however you want to call it, that like bear repeating because it's like so fundamental. And it's like maybe you do know it, but you know what? It doesn't hurt to hear it again. So relax on it being like very 101 level because sometimes it's really easy to forget that 101 level stuff and you start doing all this crazy stuff and you can't figure out why it's wor- why it's not working and you realize, oh, the fundamentals are kind of off here because I lost my way a little bit. So I'm okay repeating the really, really obvious stuff. Yeah, I was watching a video. I think David Perel was like talking to, I saw Danny Miranda posted, but like here on his podcast, but David Perel was like talking about how Steve Jobs would repeat over and over, just focus on the customer, focus on the customer. And that is like very simple advice. But if you say it enough, like people will remember, that's what I need to do when I do marketing. That's what I need to do when I do marketing. If you don't say it enough, people just start doing crazy things and and lose sight of the customer. So sometimes you have to repeat things to get your idea across that, hey, most people in marketing aren't doing this, even though you you think it's in simple marketing advice. Most people aren't doing that advice you're giving them. So yeah. I'm going to steal a line from my current CEO uh, right now. He So we've got a mission. We've got a vision. We've got um, all that stuff. And he told me, he's like, yeah, the best advice I got from my, one of our VCs was repeat myself, repeat our vision, repeat our North Star until I am nauseous and then repeat it again. 
And so I think this like repeating stuff, which by the way, this is how marketing works anyways. <laughs> like you've seen exactly. it's over and over, uh, but like it works really well for leadership too. I have told my team several times um, that you are going to hear me say the same thing over and over and over again. And I just have to do it. I have to make sure that we are all rowing in the same direction because it's really easy to set a vision and then move on and just assume that everyone's like one understood exactly what you said because there's nuance that is lost when you uh you know from when you take something that's in your head and you put it in words or into paper um, but then also there's other priorities that come up and they can kind of get off course from what your vision is so it is always important to repeat yourself as many times as you possibly can and i think the best companies do that the best companies know why they exist every employee knows how to sell that company in like a sentence or two and they just constantly are able to look at that North Star to reassure themselves that what they're working on is a shared vision. Also, one thing I learned from someone is like, especially in a company that's growing, every meeting, there's probably one or two newbies in that in, in that meeting that had not heard that vision more yep. than five times. Like, just because you're like that veteran who's heard the CEO say it for three, four years, doesn't mean there's three or four new people that you want to row in the same direction, as you said, that don't know the vision. So it's the same thing in marketing too. It's like in content too. Sometimes you have to create content over and over because there's new people added to your audience, everything. And they have to know what you stand for, who you are, what you believe. And I, I think this actually leads to an adjacent point I had too, when I was hiring this pizza influencer. So a lot of times I'll see companies make content and it does pretty well. And then they go, all right, what's the next idea? But it's like, no, 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 the, you had, you got the idea. The idea were to do that again and just like, you know, f- change the format, like find a format that you can follow and you can plug in different variables and do that over and over and over again. For us, it might be the top 10 non-pizza foods in this city. And we got to like go from city to city to do that. Um, but this idea that you've like done something once and it's time to move on. It's like, no, no, once you've done something once and it resonates, you do it until you are nauseous, you know, like I'm going to steal that line again. Uh, what I tell my team is like, once we've struck gold, we do not move over and start digging for more gold. We found the gold. We're going to dig there until that nugget is completely out of the ground. And until we are certain that we've got every last piece of gold out of that one spot. Yeah, too many people with ads and content, they just stop too early or sometimes... The re- it's reason that's why repurposing works. Like, and you said repeating the same thing over and over. Like, if it's relevant one time, it's probably going to be relevant another time, and it's probably going to be relevant on other platforms too. So, like, it's worth repeating that. And and the only difference between each platform is you maybe just have to change the format a little bit, but the message is there, the thought is there, the idea is there. So, like, if you've seen it resonate once, it's going to keep resonating. So, just do it until your audience gets bored of it. Last thing I want to know is where could people find you? Where could people find Slice? Um, how could they order from Slice? All that good stuff. Yeah. So super easy. You can find Slice on social media, just at Slice. They were able to get that really cool uh, headline or that real cool tag. And you could find me, M. Kobach. It's just my um, M, Matthew, and then uh, Kobach, my last name. And if you're listening to this and you haven't used Slice or you have used Slice, DM me. I will be more than happy to give you a promo code for Anywhere from, let's say, 5 to to $100 off your next order, just say that you listen to this podcast and I'll DM you a code. Well, thank you so much. And take them up on the free pizza. Who wouldn't want free pizza or discounted pizza? So thank you so much for joining. 
and I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me again. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.